Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we'll be reading together verses 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. We will be uh, considering this morning the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And again, just to, to, to remind you that our Heidelberg Catechism, which we'll be reciting in a few moments, is really uh, summarized or, or, or constructed around four main topics or documents. The, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, uh, the Sacraments, and the Lord's Prayer. And this is really how the early church sought to instruct or catechize her people. And so when the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism decided to draft the Catechism in this manner, they were seeking to recover really the best from the early church in, in their form of catechesis. And so as we learn the Christian faith through the lens of this Catechism, we're learning the Christian faith the way Christians have been learning the Christian faith for centuries. It's a pretty wonderful thing to be a part of. So Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as, as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your art. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please look with me in your, um, well, actually, I failed to put the reference. So please look with me, actually, in the back of your Psalter hymnal, if you will. We'll be confessing together uh, Lord's Day 51. I apologize. I failed to put the catechism reference in the bulletin this week. So uh, the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 895. Uh, this morning we'll be confessing together question answer 126. 126. So 
So Lord's Day 51, question and answer 126. As always, I will read the question if you'd please all respond by reciting the answer. Lord's Day 51, question answer 126, found on page 895 of your Psalter hymnals. What does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, poor sinners that we are, any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. Let us pray that the Lord would bless the the reading of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not remained hidden, but you have revealed yourself to us, not only in, in creation and providence, but most supremely through your written word. We thank you that we have the privilege of, of worshiping you on this day, the day in which you have made, the day in which you have set aside for the worship and rest of your people. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we reflect upon this fifth petition, you would both motivate our wills to continue to be a people who pray, but we also pray that you would assure us and comfort us uh, with the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only because of his blood that our sins are not imputed to us. Uh, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, boys and girls, we uh, only have two more weeks of review of our catechism questions until we move on to um, another sermon series. So what are, what are the three main sections of our catechism? What are the three main sections? Annabelle? Or... And which one are, which section are we in? Gratitude. Gratitude. Very good. What, what's, what's the definition of, of true faith? The three parts of true faith. Violet? Knowledge, assent, and trust. And what's the content of this faith? Uh, Noel? The Apostles' Creed. Very good. What, what benefit do we receive when we profess this true faith? Annabelle? Christ's Christ righteousness. Where does this faith come from? Violet? Good. And what, what means, what instruments, what, what, uh, what does the Holy Spirit use to create this faith? And? Good. The preaching of the Word and the sacraments. Very good. Now, in this gratitude section, we have been uh, looking, for, we first looked at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are really the objective way in which we express our gratitude. Uh, gratitude is not really a subjective thing. Rather, it's objectively defined as obedience to the Ten Commandments. And now we are thinking about the Lord's Prayer And remember the catechism spoke of the Lord's Prayer as a chief part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Of all the things that we are called to do in life, prayer is number one because it it functions as a microcosm. It represents our entire life of gratitude because the posture of heart that we have during times of genuine prayer is the posture of heart that we are to have at every moment of the day. And so praying often is, is is a reminder to you of how you are to live even in those moments in which you're not praying. Now, we uh, concluded the first three petitions which, of the Lord's Prayer, which are all about God and his priorities. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And now the last three petitions are all about our real needs. And so if I were to ask you, what are your needs in life? If I were to ask you to put together a list, what are your needs in life? Well, what, what kind of list would you put together? 
Well, the second half of Lord's Prayer very helpfully defines what our real needs are. So two weeks ago, we considered how we are in need of daily bread. And the Catechism interprets this as all of the physical needs that we have in this life. But we are not only in need of, of physical things, but we also need God's blessing to be enjoined upon those physical needs because our Catechism said that without God's blessing, neither our care and labor nor His gifts will profit us. God giving you food would, would be of no profit to you if He did not bless that food for the nourishment of your body. And you can go down the list. So we're not only in need of physical provisions, we need God's blessing to be attached to those physical provisions so that they are actually effective and useful and beneficial to us. Well, now in the fifth petition, Jesus teaches us that forgiveness is one of the needs that we have. Forgiveness. We are in need of both of vertical forgiveness and a power to forgive on a horizontal level. And so we, of course, are in need of God to forgive us of our sins. Sins that we have committed against his divine majesty. David in Psalm 51, the, 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 the chapter that I read in our call to worship, David knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can't do anything to make his own sins go away. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. David knows that he can't forgive his own sins. He can't wash himself. He can't cleanse himself. He's completely dependent upon the mercy of God for his sins to be forgiven. And therefore, our vertical forgiveness is a need that we have, a great need we have. But we also are in need of God's grace. We are in need of God's power to be able to forgive our neighbors when our neighbors sin against us. When you think about all the things that we are called to do as part of our life of grateful service, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven us is arguably one of the most difficult things to do. And so we stand in great need of help from the Holy Spirit to motivate our wills to forgive others in a way that's analogous to how God in Christ has forgiven us. And therefore, we are in need of forgiveness, vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness. And those are the two needs I want to focus our attention on this morning as we reflect upon this fifth petition. So first, we are to pray for God's forgiveness of our own sins. Now, the catechism here says that when we pray in light of the fifth petition, we are in our prayers to acknowledge who we really are. And who are we according to, uh, the words of the according to the words of the catechism? We're poor sinners, miserable sinners, you could even say. And David would, would agree with the authors of our catechism. In Psalm 51, David says that in sin, his mother conceived him. David's sin problem didn't start the first time he disobeyed his parents. David's sin problem began in the womb. And then David continues and he says, uh, David knows that he sinned against Uriah and against, against Bathsheba, but he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in, in your sight. David knows that all of his sin, although it's committed against other human beings, is ultimately an affront to God. 
and his holiness and his majesty. And so David recognizes that we are poor, miserable sinners. And therefore, in our prayers, we are to acknowledge who we really are. We are to be humble about this. Pride thinks of ourselves more highly than we ought, but humility looks into the, the mirror of God's law, as I said earlier, and is, a, and is honest about what, uh, what we see. And therefore, we are poor, miserable sinners. And the Catechism continues and says that we, in light of this petition, are to pray that because of Christ's blood, that God would not impute to us the evil which clings so closely and our manifold transgressions. This language is very important because it reminds us that we are forgiven, we are saved not because of the amount of prayers that we offer or our diligence in confessing our sins or even the strength of our faith. Those things are not the cause of our forgiveness. We are forgiven for Christ's sake. We are forgiven because of Christ's blood. That is the ground of our salvation and our forgiveness. When Christ died on the cross, he he bore the wrath of God for the sins of all of the elect, all of the people of God, past, present, and future. And so we shouldn't think of of us needing to, 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 to confess each of our sins in order to make those particular sins go away. It's a one-for-one, tit-for-tat, transactional um, uh, concept. In fact, this is, this is really what the Roman Catholic system of penance teaches and what drove Martin Luther crazy. He, Martin Luther realized that there are not enough hours in the day for him to confess each and every sin that he commits. And confession is good. Jesus tells us to ask for the, you know, that God to forgive us of our sins, but we need to be careful that we don't think that, we, that our confession of sins or our diligence in prayer are the ground of our forgiveness or our salvation. Christ, Christ is our means of salvation. Now, this should probably bring to mind a question then. If, if us confessing our sins is not you know, the, the, the ground of our salvation, but, but Christ is the ground of our salvation, why does Jesus give us the fifth petition? Why does Jesus tell us to pray, forgive us our debts? Why are we to confess our sins as an ongoing habit in the Christian life if we're already saved through our faith in Christ? That's an important and interesting question to think about. Why is this such an important habit in the Christian life? I mean, we recognize how important this is because we include it as an element in our liturgy in the first service. I think there are three reasons, three reasons why Jesus thinks of confession of sin as an important habit for Christians, Christians to engage in. Uh, The first reason is that it's commanded of us as part of our life of grateful service. Again, confessing our sins is not a means uh, uh, of salvation. It's, It's really a means of gratitude for us as Christians. Just as we are called to love our neighbor, just as we are called to worship God purely, According to his word, we also are called to confess our sins as an ongoing habit within the Christian life. And so it's commanded of us by God. Now, the second reason why we should confess our sins as Christians is because God has ordained this practice as a means of mortification, a means of mortification of our ongoing indwelling sin. God has ordained confession of sin as a means of mortification of our sin. 
Now, boys and girls, what are the two parts of the Christian life? I didn't ask you this before. The two parts of the Christian life. Lily? Yes, the dying of the old self and the rising of the life of the new self. And question answer 89 defines what it means um, when we say that, 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 that we are put off the old self. It defines it as heartfelt sorrow for our sin, causing us to hate it and turn from it always more and more. And therefore, one of the ways in which we express our sorrow for sin and our hatred for sin is by confessing our sin. So one of the ways in which we express our sorrow for sin and our hatred for sin is by confessing our sin, our particular sins particularly. That's the language of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Furthermore, Jesus, uh, Jesus himself elsewhere in the Gospels, he, he reminds us of a very important principle. He says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, according to Jesus, a penitent heart will manifest itself uh, by a penitent mouth, penitent speech. And so one who habitually confesses their sins is showing a heart that's truly repentant, sorrowful, hating their own sin. Or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so one way in which we become a repentant people, dispositionally, is by engaging the practice of confessing our sins. And we become virtuous people by acting like virtuous people. And therefore, we become a repentant people by acting like a repentant people through confessing our sins. In fact, Martin Luther once said that uh, our sin, God uses our sin in the Christian life to break our pride and to humble us. God uses our sin to break our pride and to humble us. And so when we confess that sin, we're essentially confessing our broken pride and our humility. Uh, moreover, our natural temptation in life is to look at our sin and just kind of shrug it off. Our anger, our critical words, our lack of patience, you know, those things, it's really, it's really the fault of, of, of that person in my life who's provoking me. If they would be acting the way they should be acting, I wouldn't be angry, impatient, or critical right now. But confessing our sins forces us to call sin what it is. Sin. An affront to God's holy majesty and a breach of his moral law. And therefore, confessing our sins is a means of mortification of our indwelling sin. And last of all, the reason why Jesus calls us to confess our sin is because this is also a means of remembering the gospel. Confess, the con, uh, a confession of sin should never be done in isolation. It always should be enjoined to a remembrance of the gospel. You know, God has joined together confession of sin and his declaration of pardon, and he has uh, told no man uh, to separate those two. Now, this isn't only true on Sundays. In our morning liturgy, we confess our sins, and we hear God's declaration of pardon. But this also should be our practice in our private piety. Whenever we confess our sins, we always should call to remembrance the good news of the gospel, that God does not leave us in our sin, but he graciously redeems us, justifies us, and does not impute to us our manifold sins and transgressions, but rather imputes to us the perfect and alien righteousness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, confessing our sin is also a means of us remembering the gospel. Again, even the way Jesus frames the fifth petition, 
uh, speaks this way. Forgive us our debts. Jesus is enjoining together our debts and his forgiveness. And therefore, confession of sin is to be a regular part, a habit, you could say, within the Christian life. Well, we pray uh, in this petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're not only in need of, of God's mercy to forgive us of our own sins, but we also need help, help from the Holy Spirit so that we can forgive others of their debts, forgive others of their sins committed against us. And so we need, need help on a horizontal level as well. Now, what's the relationship between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness? What's the relationship between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness? When we read the fifth petition, it, it almost sounds as if God will only forgive us if we forgive our neighbor. It seems a bit transactional. If we forgive, God forgives. If we don't forgive, God won't forgive. Now, one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism also wrote a commentary, which originally were lectures that he gave to divinity students on this catechism. And in that commentary, he says that the comparison that Jesus is making here in the fifth, fifth petition is not a comparison of degree. Jesus is not comparing, um, or excuse me, Jesus is not saying that to the degree in which we forgive our neighbor is the same degree in which God will forgive us. Rather, Ursinus says that the comparison that Jesus make, is making is according to the reality of the thing. Meaning, if we have truly experienced the forgiveness of God, then we will truly, although imperfectly, begin to forgive, forgive our neighbor. Just as if we are justified truly, we will truly be sanctified. If we profess true faith, then we will begin to produce true fruits of righteousness. That's the logic that Jesus is giving us. Gra gratitude flows out of grace. Service flows out of salvation. Those who are forgiven by God will continue to imitate the forgiveness of their heavenly Father. In fact, many passages in Scripture speak this way. I already quoted Ephesians 5.32 earlier, but Paul says that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Think about the weighty calling that that is for us who are adopted children of God. God has given us a model that we are to, to, to conform to. And the model is his forgiveness. His forgiveness of us in Christ. That is how we are to forgive our neighbor. Now, recall God's forgiveness. You know, when our catechism says that we should pray that, that God would not impute to us our sins, our transgressions because of Christ's blood, what, what the catechism means by that word imputation is, is, that, is that we're asking that God would not remember our sins. We're asking that God would not curse us because of our sins, but rather that he would bless us. We're asking that God would not cast us out of his gracious and benevolent presence into his wrathful presence. This is, this is what God's forgiveness of our sins entails. And thus, this is the model that we are to conform to as we seek to forgive our neighbor. 
So when we tell someone, I forgive you, what we're promising to do is that we, would, that we will not remember that person's sins. We will not uh, keep a record of their sins. Uh, consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrong. We are not to put that person's sin on feedback loop in our minds. We're also promising that we will not curse them, but bless them. We're promising that we won't gossip about them. We're, we're promising that we won't hang on to that sin and bring it up at a later point in time when it's convenient for us. And how often we like to do that in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships. We, we keep a record of sins and then we use them against the other person when it's convenient. We're also promising that we will not grow bitter and resentful and thus create a wall that stands in between true reconciliation. So when you say, I forgive you, you're promising that you will do those things. They're promises of the mind, of the mouth, of the, and of the will. At this point, it's helpful uh, to make a distinction between dispositional forgiveness and transactional forgiveness. When someone sins against us, whether or not they repent, we are called to foster within ourselves a certain disposition, a certain heart attitude. We are to resolve to not remember those sins, to not keep a record of wrongs. We are called to bless and not curse. We are called to not gossip or bring up those sins when it's convenient for us. We are called to guard against bitter, bitterness and resentment and thus be open to reconciliation if, if, if that if that, if that is able to happen. Now, transactional forgiveness refers to when both parties in a conflict come together in a spirit of humility, repentance, and forgiveness, and thus reconciliation is able to be, quote-unquote, transacted. Now, of course, we can't control transactional forgiveness because we can't control the other person. We can only control our own disposition and our own heart attitude when it comes to our own conflicts in personal relationships. I'd also like to spend a few moments now on, on, on the, the, the passage that we read to introduce this fifth petition. This parable that, that Jesus gives for us is a very helpful parable in really illustrating for us the fifth petition. In this parable we learn, we learn that our sin against God is infinitely greater than any sin that's ever been committed against us. We learn in this parable that God's forgiveness of our sins is infinitely greater than any forgiveness we can extend towards our neighbor. But what happens, what happens in, in life is that we so often forget about our sin, our sin against God. We so often forget about how extraordinary God's forgiveness of our sins truly is. And we look at, at the offenses that have been committed against us as these insurmountable mountains. We become enforcers of strict justice. And we can only think about how terribly we've been slighted by other people in our life. And this is one of the reasons why every Lord's Day we turn our attention the reading of God's law, so that we, we can be reminded, reminded of our sin, our sin against the holy God, our sin against the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, and then can be reminded through that declaration of pardon of how extraordinary God's forgiveness is of us. Now, the sin of this unforgiving servant is really the sin of ingratitude. 
this, this unforgiving servant has failed to truly uh, appreciate the kindness that, that was displayed toward him. And thus, he is not able to display that same kindness and benevolence towards his own servant. And so when we fail to forgive our neighbor, we're really demonstrating and revealing a lack of gratitude in our hearts for the gospel, for the forgiveness of sins that we have received. Because that forgiveness should make us grateful and humble. And so our lack of forgiveness is revealing in our hearts a lack of gratitude. The more you forgive, the more grateful you are. Now, we can consider this issue of forgiveness all day long, theoretically. But we all know that in practice, when we are actually sinned against, when our loved ones are sinned against, theory tends to go out the window and emotions take over. We all know this by uh, personal experience. And in those moments, uh, our natural sinful disposition takes over. And what's our natural sinful disposition? We hang on to those sins. We remember those sins very well. Indeed, we memorize them, every detail about them. And we even twist them to fit our own narrative. We put them on feedback loop in our minds. We curse the people who offend us, not only to their face, but to other people. We talk about it. We bring it up against them at later points in time. We become bitter and resentful and thus create this wall which inhibits any sort of future reconciliation. That is our natural emotional disposition when we are in conflict and people sin against us. Which is exactly why Jesus tells us in this petition that we are to pray for help. We need help. We need help. We need help so that we can have the power to forgive those who sin against us. This does not come natural for, for sinners. Our natural inclination is to want to seek revenge, not just justice, revenge. And so we need God to change our hearts through his spirit so that we begin to imitate the heart of our Heavenly Father and his forgiving attitude towards us. And if we're honest with ourselves, even getting to a place when we've been sinned against, to, to be able to offer that prayer and, and to pray when, we, when there's nothing in us that wants to forgive, even to be able to stop and ask God for help to forgive is a huge first step because most of us don't even want to do that. And so this is a reminder that the first thing we need to do is pray. Pray for help. And we can be confident that this prayer is a prayer that God loves to both hear and answer. Why? Because Jesus told us to pray this. And so when you pray for help and power to forgive those who've sinned against you, you can be confident that is a prayer that God loves to answer. And so we are to be a people who pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let us pray.